Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. This is Dr. Kerry Gell, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Today, we have a very, very special guest, Dr. Julie Poteet. Dr. Poteet received her BA at the University of Georgia. She received her Doctor of Optometry at the New England College of Optometry. She's a VA resident. She has a Master of Science in Human Nutrition and Functional Medicine. She has a very special interest in pediatric vision. She works great with the little ones. She's now our president of the OWNS, the Ocular Wellness and Nutrition Societies, Society. She practices in Ackworth, Georgia. I want to welcome you to the, to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Puti. Thanks, Dr. Gal. So Hippocrates said, all disease begins in the gut. And if we could heal the gut, we could prevent disease. Can you explain how you got interested in the human microbiome? Sure. My interest started from a, a personal story um, 17 years ago. Uh, and it's kind of evolved ever since. When I became interested and fascinated in the gut microbiome and how it can affect health and behavior, Research was, was minimal at that time. In the year 2000, there were 200 um, articles on PubMed on probiotics. So today, there's thousands that are published each year. So it's an evolving science. Um, but the personal story or the reason why I got, became so involved in the microbiome and actually went back to school to get my master's in human nutrition was because of actually my child. Um, my son, when he was 28 months old, was diagnosed with autism. He had had, prior to that, chronic gut inflammation, uh, immune system dysfunctions. He had the best doctors in Massachusetts. He had Harvard, Harvard GI doctors. Um, and his Harvard GI doctor at that time, around 2002, uh, 2003, told me, you know, there's something to this gut brain behavior. The research isn't here, I can't explain it, but there's something to this. When we have inflammation in the gut, it can affect brain and behavior. Again, that was his theory. There was no, a lot of research supporting that. But you know, I, I, I put my mom hat on, you know, my mom hat stayed on, but then my science hat um, came on and I began to research and from the chronic GI inflammation that my son suffered from and, and was in treatment for. And then the behavioral modifications and changes that he started to display, the regression of development. Um, I started to learn more about dysbiosis, which is um, lack of beneficial bacteria in the gut or an overpopulation of pathogenic bacteria. And my son suffered from, from all of it. And what I learned from him is that helping to control his gut inflammation actually affected his immune function, his overall behavior. And so 
hence my, you know, almost two decades worth of, of passion and research into the microbiome was, was, you know, has begun. Um, what we know about how the microbiome affects us, we're just at the tip of the iceberg. It's a rapidly evolving science. Um, but the more we, we know and learn about it, the more we realize how impactful our beneficial bacteria and bacteria overall have on immune system functioning, inflammation in the body. Now we're learning um, brain, brain and behavior. So. Now that was probably before Dr. McBride wrote the GAPS book and before the work yes. of Alessio Fasano. So Right. Well, Alessio Fasano changed everything. He opened the door for us because at the time when my son was having so many issues, you know, one of the, his autism doctors that worked with him had introduced the term to me, leaky gut syndrome. So I researched leaky gut syndrome and then the MD that introduced it to me said, you know, it's considered fringe. Uh, it was considered by some quackery um, fringe, but thanks to Alicia Fasana, who's a celiac researcher at Harvard, he actually showed us that leaky gut is a thing. He identified a protein called zonulin, and it's the only known physiological moderator of the gut epithelial cells. So the lining of the gut, um, which is the largest interface between the external world and the internal world, um, has cells that line it that have tight junctions. These tight junctions serve a purpose. They block the entrance into systemic circulation of things that shouldn't be there. Um, antigens, bacterial and endotoxins, um, things that can wreak havoc and cause sustained inflammation. So these tight junctions are real. Um, when they become separated for a prolonged amount of time, inflammation and systemic inflammation in the body can occur. One of the things that causes separation of those tight junctions is um, products from gram-negative bacterial lipopolysaccharides from gram-negative bacteria. So you've got gram-negative bacterial bacteria that cause the separation of these tight junctions that leads to systemic inflammation. The other thing he, dis he discovered that causes those tight junctions to separate is, is a molecule in gluten, part of the protein in, protein in wheat, um, that causes these tight junctions to separate by the release of this protein zonulin. So Alessio Fasano paved the way and substantiated all that was, was proposed on the leaky gut. What he showed that in everyone, whenever we ingest gluten, the protein in wheat, those tight junctions separate. And most of us, they go right back together. But those with autoimmunity genes, those tight junctions separate and stay separated for, for, for a while. So um, his work actually transformed um, so much of our thinking in, in gut physiology. So explain what zonulin, zonulin is. Zonulin is a protein. Um, it's the only known physiological moderator discovered thus far of gut epithelial integrity. So when zonulin is released and things that cause the release of zonulin, gluten and some bacteria, when that's released, it causes those tight junctions to separate and it causes a leaky gut. Now, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, uh, you spoke a little bit about that, how when anybody eats gluten or something with lectins in it, they will get mm -hmm. some opening of, of the gut. Now, is that the small intestine or the large intestine? And how much 
does get released and how long does it take for the gut to close once it is released in somebody that doesn't, that's not celiac? It's the small intestine and it, and zonulin again is, is, is released. Um, how long does it stay open? I, I don't know the answer to that, but it, in those with autoimmunity genes, um, it stays open long enough for substances to enter into the bloodstream that can create sustained chronic inflammation. So if we have say a weak link in say in one part of our body, if it's the thyroid or even, you know, for us, for the eye, uveitis, which is an inflammation in the eye. Talk about how that we get the release and talk about what the body does and how it releases the antibodies and how it could be damaging. I'm just going to give you a quote, actually. Um, it's from a 2019 Congress of Clinical Rheumatology, where the keynote speaker is an ophthalmologist, James T. Rosenbaum. He gave a, a keynote address um, on the microbiome in rheumatic disease. And, he, he, and I'm quoting him. I submit to you that in any disease that has an immune component, whether it's Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autism, atherosclerosis, obesity, diabetes, and any disease that you're seeing in your clinics with an immune component. And Carrie, let's face it, every disease we see in eye care has an immune component. Um, but he said that any disease that you're seeing in your clinics with an immune component, the microbiome is having some effect. Whether it's a small effect or a large effect, it's hard to say. But in these experimental rodents, the effect is huge. And one day we'll have therapy that is directed towards repairing or changing or altering that microbiome. So basically what he's saying is essentially the microbiome is largely driving the health of the immune system. And diseases that have an immune component, again, any disease we see in eye care, as you know, has an immune component. Um, and the effects are largely influenced by the health of the microbiome. And we're finding more and more about that now with macular degeneration, we're finding that it has an immune component. But let's go back for a second about your son. How's he doing now? Oh, he's doing amazingly. He is actually um, a freshman at Georgia Tech. He's Dean's List, um, holds a um, leadership position in his fraternity. He's no longer autistic. Uh, you know, it, it took years of therapies um, and getting his gut right, his immune system right, but he lost his diagnosis. Um, he's a, a typical kid who's extremely intelligent, Eagle Scout. He runs my eye clinic in Guatemala for me every summer. Um, just brilliant. Um, he just actually was elected to be one of the, the orientation leaders uh, for Georgia Tech. So he's, he is, he's doing amazingly. Um, but central to healing was healing his gut. And he would not have recovered had we not healed his gut. And I keep on going back to his, his pediatric gastroenterologist at Harvard, who in 2002, 2003 told me, you know, there's something to this gut-brain connection. I can't explain it. The research isn't here yet, but there's something to it. And fast forward it to today, that we know that the gut microbiome influences brain function. Um, so this is huge. It's unfolding. And I'm, you know, kind of excited to see where it's going to go. Well, I, I want to ask you about what you did for your son, but I want to hold on and just give a little okay. bit of background. So talk about exactly what the microbiome is and about diversity, how important diversity is to the microbiome. Okay. So any surface we touch, um, essentially any surface we touch has a pantina of 
microorganisms, bacteria, that live on it. We have evolved to have microorganisms that live in and on us. Um, there's 100 trillion bacterial cells in our body. That's roughly a ratio of mi microbial to human cells, roughly of two to one. It used to be believed that it was 10 to one. Now we know it's two to one. Um, so we have this huge amount of symbiotic bacteria that live and, and, and microorganisms that live on us and around us. Um, the human gastrointestinal tract has 95% of the microorganisms that live on us. Um, it rivals the liver in the number of biochemical reactions in which it participates. Um, I'm gonna give you a quote. This was by Leo Gallen in an article published, Gut Microbiome and Brain. It was published in the Journal of Medicinal Foods, 2014. The 100 trillion bacteria in the body of an adult human contain about 4 million distinct bacterial genes with more than 95% of them located in the large intestine. Since most of these genes encode for enzymes and structural proteins that influence the functioning of mammalian cells, the gut microbiome can be viewed as an anaerobic bioreactor programmed to synthesize molecules which direct the immune system, modify the mammalian epigenome, and regulate host metabolism. So essentially, the gut microbiome orchestrates human metabolism, immunity, and gene expression. So we've evolved to live symbiotically with these microbiota that, that exist all around us. Um, so we're running around, you know, with Perel and trying to kill all the micro, the microbiome <laughs> on our skin, you know, especially now with this coronavirus. But, uh, right. you know, but it, it, there is bacteria that's living in us. And without that bacteria, we wouldn't be here, would we? No, we don't, and they serve a purpose. In fact, um, the Human Genome Project was a project to map the human genome that, that took place over a long time, but in April 2003, it was completed. Francis Collins, who's now head of the NIH, was headed up the project. So in 2003, we thought, okay, we've mapped the human genome, we're gonna have the answers to all diseases and disease functions. Um, and what we've learned now is the epigenetic expression of genes, meaning, what in our environment influences the way our DNA is expressed um, is a huge contributor of health and wellness. Our microbiome influences us, influences us in an epigenetic le level. Um, so in around 2008, the Human Microbiome Project was started, again, headed up by Francis Collins um, with the NIH. And what it showed us is that our bacterial DNA in humans outnumbers us, I mean, it, it represents 99% of, of our DNA. Our human DNA, 1%. Our bacterial DNA, 99% of, of our total um, genetic expression. So, you know, that saying that you are what you eat, you, you really are not only what you eat, but what your bacteria eat. So it, it's, it's, we're learning more and more and it's, it's kind of exciting. It's unfolding so quickly. So. so in the microbiome, is it just bacteria or is it virus, protozoa, or are there other organisms? It's, it's everything. It's all that you just mentioned. So. And talk about diversity, you know. So some people have a lot of different microbiome, different bacteria and, and viruses in their microbiome. Some people have just a small amount. Which way is it better? Well, what we know is diversity of diet helps dictate the diversity of our microbiome. 
Um, if you look at children in Africa and their diets, a lot of complex carbohydrates, fruits, vegetables, they have a, a wide diversity of their microbiome. Our children here in the developed countries, industrialized nations that eat, a more, you know, eat more poorly, a lot of simple carbohydrates, a lot of fast foods, we have a less, less diversity to our microbiome. What we know now is the less diverse microbiome is associated with disease states and increased sustained inflammation in the body. So it's that diversity that we want in our guts and that we're so lacking now in industrialized nations. What kind of foods does the, does the microbiome want to eat? What kind of food should people eat to support the microbiome, to help keep us healthy? Right. The more produce, plant-based foods, the better. Um, plant-based foods help. So we want to increase consumption of plant-based foods, fermented foods, kefir, yogurt, raw sauerkraut, kimchi, fermented vegetables, and kombucha. Um, Try to eat unprocessed foods that are low in sugar. Avoid unhealthy fats, sugars, artificial sweeteners, additives and preservatives. Uh, microbiome superfoods that contain a sort of prebiotic fiber. And this prebiotic fiber um, is fiber that's undigestible so that by the time it hits the colon, <clears throat> the bacteria in the colon thrive on it. So it basically is selective towards the good bacteria. So asparagus, carrots, garlic, Jerusalem artichokes, leeks, onions, radishes, and tomatoes. Um, <clears throat> but again, the more diverse the diet, the more diversity in our gut bacteria. And that's what is associated with health and wellness. So you talked about prebiotics and probiotics. What's the difference between them? <clears throat> prebiotics are non-digestible carbohydrates that actually feed and promote the health and the proliferation of good bacteria. Probiotics are different strains and species of bacteria that we introduce into our diet um, that promote uh, beneficial organisms, micro, microorganisms to thrive. You know, there's, there's, if you go into a supermarket, um, any store, you, you get bombarded with probiotics and this, probiotics and that. And, and, and there's, 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 you can spend a lot of money on probiotics, but unless you know the specific strain, because the research is strain specific, unless you, you, you've researched it, you could really be wasting your money and actually even um, causing an increase in inflammation. So. There's two strain, there's two <clears throat> probiotics that I recommend a lot. Um, one of them is Lactobacillus GG. Uh, it is a form of like, obviously Lactobacillus that is, is very common. You get it over the counter. And what it's been shown to do is help strengthen those tight junctions <clears throat> of the gut epithelial cells. So the Lactobacillus GG helps with gut integrity. It's easily acquired, readily, you know, it's, it's very common. I'm not gonna mention. The, the specific brand name, but it's the most researched probiotic. Um, studies have shown that it increases not only lactobacillus, but bifidobacteria in, in the stool as well. Another strain is actually a yeast that um, it's called Saccharomyces boulardii, and it as well decreases um, the pro proliferation of C. difficile, and it also increases or, or helps with those tight junctions of the gut epithelial cells. So. 
Those are two readily available over-the-counter probiotics you can buy with a lot of research behind them. How about a fermented foods that we get, you know, whether it's kimchi or fermented pickles, not regular pickles, but fermented pickles, the sauerkraut, that cabbage. Uh, what kind of probiotics are in there compared to buying probiotics over the counter? I think eating a diet rich in fermented foods is a lot better than just trying to buy the probiotics. There's a lot more, you know, diversity. Um, you know, if you look at cultures with a lot of longevity, a lot of them have existed on, you know, the, the probiotic foods. So, so, so yes, I think, go ahead. So we know that 70, 80% of our immune system uh, is because of our gut, it helps protect our immune system. When we're starting to get dysbiosis and the bacteria or the organisms are getting out of balance, what are some of the symptoms that people may have? You know, you can have gut dysbiosis and have no GI, GI symptoms at all, or you can have gas, bloating, uh, fatigue, malaise, just an overall general, just not feeling well, diarrhea, um, but it can affect brain function, brain fog, um, joint pain. It affects, in, you know, it just, it can upregulate inflammation in the body. Um, so it essentially, it can affect anything. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. Thank you for tuning in to the Open Your Eyes podcast. If you like the video you're watching, please hit the like button. Also, hit subscribe for weekly new episodes of the podcast, along with pod winks and bonus content. All right, let's get back to the show. So we talked before about uh, gluten, how gluten can cause zonule and open up the gut, and we could leak mm -hmm. contents into the body and get an immune response. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk about other than gluten, are there other lectins in other types of grain? First, what grains have gluten? And other grains that don't have gluten, are there other lectins that can cause the same type of reaction that we, need, we may need to be careful about? Okay. Um, gluten is the protein in wheat, barley, rye. Um, and gluten have has been studied for a long time because of an autoimmune disease called celiac disease. And if you have celiac disease, you have a specific genetic um, problem with digesting the, the protein in wheat. Um, again, because of Alicia Fasano, we've learned that gluten sensitivity is a real thing and that, and the effect on the gut um, integrity. So, um, other things, lectins are something more newly discovered that can affect the, the gut wall. Beans are high in lectins, certain grains are high in lectins. Gram-negative bacteria um, have something called lipopolysaccharide that is released that can affect the integrity of the gut wall. So this is another, another reason dysbiosis can affect um, and cause leaky gut. Um, <clears throat> now, did they recommend like for your son once you, they, they found out more information to, to avoid all grains or is it, just, is it just gluten? And do you recommend 
to avoid all grains or just gluten? Uh, for him at the time, and again, at that time, this was considered somewhat fringe. Um, this was before Alicia Fasano's work was published. Um, gluten, strict removal of any gluten, no cross-contamination, um, but a strict removal of any gluten-containing grains. No, and it has to be done 100%. If you're going to do it, you know, 95% and say, I'm going to have, I'm going to cheat here on the weekends. It, it, does, it doesn't work. You have to remove it 100%. You know, you can run <clears throat> test after test. The, the best way and only way really truly to know if gluten is affecting you is totally remove it 100% for six weeks. And then you can reintroduce it and wait 72 hours. But for us, the, the, for him, the change was, 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 was marked and it, it affected him his behavior, his stools, it, it was, it was, um, it, it, yeah, it was, it was transformative for him to remove gluten, so. Um. Can you explain what celiac is? Sure, celiac is an autoimmune disease where um, the autoimmune, the inciting agent is, is, is the protein in wheat, and celiacs, when you remove the, remove the inciting agent, remove the protein in wheat, um, that's the, that's the treatment. That's the treatment, but untreated, it causes, um, you know, gut inflammation, stunning of growth. Um, it can cause just so many, so many, um, deleterious, um, problems in the body. Um, but the treatment for that is just a sustained, um, removal of gluten from the diet. And I guess when you have celiac, you really can't absorb nutrients very well. No, when the gut's inflamed, you don't absorb nutrients well at all. No. So that, I guess that puts you at risk for many chronic conditions. Right, right. And you know, the thing about autoimmune disease, when you have one autoimmune disease, your risk of having another is so great. And you know, autoimmunity is the third leading cause of morbidity and mortality in the United States, just behind heart disease and cancer. Um, so when you've got an intervention that, um, you know, can mitigate your risk and the severity of autoimmunity, it's, it's, it's worth looking into. And I think with Alicia Fasano's work has shown us that in those with genes, you know, an autoimmunity genes, gluten um, really can be a trigger and something that perpetuates it. So, Tell us about a case that you might have been familiar with in practice of uh, removing gluten and the improvement that you've seen. So um, I have a patient who's 55 years old, comes to see me an annually for eye exams. Um, and I'm just going to, just going to call him, just going to call him Jerry. So, so Jerry, I'm substituting his name here, um, chronic high blood pressure, eczema, hypercholesteremia, um, but he's been under the care of a dermatologist since he was a child for just chronic eczema. And eczema falls under the umbrella term of immune system dysfunction. You've got allergy, you've got autoimmunity. Um, eczema follows under that umbrella. So about a year ago, I, I saw, saw Jerry for his routine exam and, and uh, you know, we, we talked about his eyes, his eye health. And you know, he, he mentioned to me, oh, you know, I've, I've, my eczema's flaring up right now. I'm on steroids. It's just, I'm just miserable right now. And so I, I actually told him in passing, you know, in some people, ingestion of gluten can perpetuate inflammation. 
and can actually um, be damaging. Uh, and so I just mentioned it in passing to Jerry. And so he came back a few months ago for a routine exam and he starts pulling up his sleeves and pulling up his, his, his pants. And he's like, I got to show you something. And I was like, um, I had totally forgotten that I told him about removing gluten, but he said, no, I need to show you Dr. Poteet. Look, it's all gone. And, and I was like, well, I didn't see anything on his arms. Um, I mean, and I did a VA residency. I, I saw it, the VA, the, the VA hospital where I worked, we, it was also a psych hospital as well. Um, so we saw a lot of patients. And so on myself having, you know, Jerry's sitting here pulling up his arms, his, his um, shirt and his pants, having me look at something. And I'm kind of, I find myself leaning back, looking over my shoulder to see if Jerry was possibly on some psych meds or what was going on. But he kept saying, Dr. Poteet, you have to look, it's all gone. And so finally I just said, Jerry, I don't, I don't see anything. What are you talking about? He said, my eczema, he said, my eczema is all gone. He said, you'd mentioned in passing a year ago about gluten. And I went straight home and told my wife, we need to take gluten out of, my, out of our diets. He said, and for the first time in my life, I'm not on steroids. He said, I've been under the care of a dermatologist my whole life. I've suffered. And now, you know, my eye doctor cured my eczema. So he tells everyone that his eye doctor cured his eczema. But, you know, that's how powerful just removing gluten can be if it's affecting you. Um, but his eczema was all gone. Um, so it was life changing for him. He'd lost 30 pounds. Um, so it, 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 it can be transformative. When you talk about autoimmune disease, and there's over 100 autoimmune diseases now that have been discovered, and it's more common in females than males, what are the, the, the main causes of autoimmune disease? I know Fasano has a three-legged stool that he talks about. Mm -hmm. uh, you could talk a little bit about that. Okay. So autoimmune, autoimmune disease is a complex interaction between genes, infections, our environment and the microbiome in the gut. So it's this complex interaction between these things. Um, so, you know, in, in eye care, we see a lot of autoimmunity. Any type of autoimmune disease can affect inflammation in the eye. And Carrie, as you know, inflammation in the eye is not a good thing. We, I spend my days in clinic prescribing steroids constantly for inflammation in the eye. Um, but again, it's that interaction between genes, infections, environment, environment, the environment and the microbiome in the gut. Um, and when you, when you see somebody with an autoimmune condition, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, MS, you know, things that could affect from the front of the eye all the way to the back of the eye. Let's talk about things that are, or conditions that are not that serious, such well, such as dry eye. I mean, not that dry eye is not serious, but we're not talking about a swollen optic nerve or an optic nerve that's, that's not working, which is very, very serious because that could lead to someone who has trouble seeing or blindness. Let's talk about dry eye. So you have a patient come in who has an autoimmune condition such as rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, Sojourn syndrome, or something like that. And how, in addition to the steroids, what other recommendations may you make to that patient? You know, one of my mentors, um, Sydney McDonald Baker, he 
is an MD that has been involved a lot. He's formerly trained as a pediatrician, was, was head of the Gazelle um, Human Institute, but has done a lot of work in, in, in nutrition and autism. He's made the comment that it's easier to change somebody's religion than their diet. And even though it's really tough to get patients to change their diet, I know from personal experience and from 20 years of research, how powerful and impactful changing diet can be. So with my patients that come in with recalcitrant inflammation in the eye from autoimmunity, I go to gluten and I mention the connection between gluten and I talk about dietary changes and I talk about um, changing the microbiome through produce, through, you know, through, through good fibers. So I, I introduce diet into it so much and it's, it's because it is powerful um, and it really gets to the root cause. So. Talk about how the microbiome could be related to obesity. Okay. Um, so there is an obese, um, I'm just pulling up my slide from that. There's an obese microbiome and studies in germ-free rats has shown that it's transmissible. So when germ-free rats are colonized with fecal bacteria taken from obese rats, um, they, without changing their exercise or caloric intake, um, you, see an, you see an increase in weight and total body mass, despite no changes in caloric input or output. So again, what we're learning is that there is an obese microbiome. You can do fecal transplants from an obese person and put them in a thin, a thin person, and that person will gain weight. So it's really, it's, it's fascinating. And again, we're just at the tip of the iceberg in our understanding, but we've learned a lot from germ-free rat studies. So, yeah. It, it, you know, it's amazing about this, about fecal transplants and that mm -hmm. doing fecal transplants with C. diff, it's almost 100% curable with people right. with C. diff. You might, might want to talk about that a little bit. Okay. Well, it's still in the process of being a little better regulated, but what we do know is that fecal transplantation from a healthy, a healthy gut into someone with um, C. diff, it, it, it can be curative. And this is often reserved as a last, a last a, you know, kind of a last ditch effort, um, but the results are, 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 are unbelievable. So we've also, seen fecal transplants with autistics um, that have shown you know a resolution of symptoms after a fecal transplant so again there's so much we don't know but it, it just it's fascinating fecal transplants just taking bacteria from a healthy gut or a healthy person and transplanting it into a diseased person and seeing the changes in structure and function not just in the gut but in the brain and behavior and the immune system uh, is exciting so it, it's an unfolding science so there's the gut brain connection so talk about the gut and the microbiome of the gut and how it could affect mood so i did my master's in human nutrition and functional medicine my master's thesis was in 2013 was on using probiotics to treat anxiety and depression and it was again not much research at the time on that now it's exploding uh, and what we do know is that depression, depression, anxiety are associated with inflammation, inflammation in the body, inflammation in the, in the brain. 
what controls and contributes to inflammation, it's the makeup of our gut bacteria. It, e it either promotes inflammation or promotes T regulatory cells that keep all the inflammation in check. So the foods we eat largely affect depression, anxiety, brain inflammation. When the pediatric GI specialist with Harvard told me in 2003, you know, there's something to this gut brain connection. I can't explain it. The research isn't there, but in the kids that I see with inflamed guts, they have concomitant behavioral changes, developmental issues. I mean, he was passionate about it. Um, and since then, now we do have the data to back this up. Alzheimer's disease is associated with inflammation and dysbiosis of the gut. Dementia is associated with inflammation and dysbiosis of the gut. Depression and anxiety associated with inflammation and dysbiosis of the gut. So what we eat affects our gut microbiome and it affects our brain function. And we're learning that, 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 that this is not just a small effect, but a huge effect. You know, in our industrialized nation, what we eat um, has changed so much over the years. Um, we do know that, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, just, you know, it's, it's approaching epidemic levels. Um, and one way to mitigate that risk, again, is, is through our microbiome and what we eat. So it's either the promotion of healthy lifestyle while our inflammation is kept in check or a pro-inflammatory lifestyle. So. Let's talk about some of the eye diseases that can be affected by dysbiosis, such as macular degeneration, uveitis. Uh, you could talk about that a little bit. Well, I think we talked before, inflammation, when left unchecked, causes changes in our body. Every eye disease has an inflammatory component. We know that now. Um, so, you know, macular degeneration, glaucoma, um, uveitis, which is inflammation in the eye, um, all affected by systemic health and wellness. So I think, you know, just to make it so simple, if we just look at inflammation, that kind of sums up everything from just a very, you know, simplistic level. You know, there, we do have different microbiomes that exist on different parts of our body. We have an ocular microbiome. We have a collection of microbes that are specific to our ocular environment. And so a lot of studies have, been, have looked at, you know, inflammation on the front of the eye, um, Sjogren's syndrome, the ocular microbiome versus the, the gut microbiome. And what we do know, um, the gut microbiome is largely responsible and dysbiosis in the gut microbiome is, is, is known to, to be a stronger driver of, of eye disease than, than, than topical or um, than the ocular microbiome. So again, it's, I really, really truly believe it's, it's not all about the gut, but it's almost all about the gut. So, you know, you cannot heal the body until you address healing the gut. So. You know, when a patient comes in and they have a lot of rosacea and, you know, it just kind of is a symptom that inside that the body is not doing so well. And when the, the, at one time we thought that the conjunctiva didn't have a microbiome, and now we realize that there is a microbiome of the conjunctiva. I wonder if someday there'll be drops that will be actually uh, bacteria that will actually be putting in our eye to improve the microbiome, almost like probiotic drops. Have you heard anything about I that? I think that's awesome. 
I haven't. Have you? I haven't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, doc, Dr. Harvey Fishman, who's a uh, ophthalmologist, an MD, PhD out in in California. He's Stanford trained, and he talks about that that there's something that they're working on on a topical uh, mm -hmm. microbiome. So a topical probiotic. So you know it's still pretty far away, but it may be something that 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 we're going to be using at some point and using with our patients, especially when people put a lot of makeup and a lot of different chemicals on their body and on their eyes, because it could change, It'll, just like our gut is changed by foods that we're eating or we're exposed to GMOs and we're taking antibiotics. I remember a number of years ago, there was a study that said that if you took, if you, a, a patient who was on five antibiotics over 15 years had about a 50% increased risk of diabetes. Just because it was mm. shifting the just because it was shifting the microbiome so much, so you know the, the microbiome is a, is a new frontier and it's really really very exciting. Uh, it's a really exciting subject that we can help our patients through diet. You know, we help them through diet, exercise, getting outside in the sun. You know, it's not just diet; it's also stress reduction and sleep and other it, other lifestyle factors that that support health as, as as you know so let's talk about some of the things that you did for your son and some of the things people could do to improve their microbiome i know we touched a, a little bit about it before but if you could touch on it a little bit more and how how difficult is it to do it what kind of supplementation would you recommend what to avoid how could we how could we how could we improve in this area so I, I do want to go back to what you said about the, the topical probiotic drops and, and the mechanism with which that would, would improve eye health would be because they act as an anti-inflammatory, right? When, they, when you get rid of the bacteria that are promoting inflammation and support the, the growth of the beneficial bacteria, that actually acts as an anti-inflammatory. So I think that that's exciting to me. Um, you know, I think one of the greatest disruptors of our... Um, one of the greatest causes of dysbiosis is, is, is antibiotic use. Um, studies have shown that um, overuse of antibiotics just wreaks havoc on our gastrointestinal system. Some of the species that are affected never recover. Um, some of them take up to four years to recover. You know, you can give someone probiotics. Um, when you, you cannot, you cannot affect sustained change in the microbiome with a probiotic unless you keep them on it. Once you stop a certain species or strain of probiotics, uh, your body kind of goes back to normal. So you can't, you have to stay on that certain strain. So it's a myth that you think taking a probiotic for two to three weeks is gonna lead to lasting change in, in, in that particular colonization of that, of that probiotic. Um, so, you know, with my son, healing his gut was paramount to healing his brain. Um, change of diet, Fermented foods, you know, and, and, and autistic kids, they tend to be very self-limited in what they will eat. Um, but we, 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 you know, we had to make a conscious effort, take the sugar away, um, increase the omega-3s. Omega-3s are huge. Omega-3s have been shown to be low. Um, DHA has been shown to be low in, in, in a lot of kids, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, even those kids have been found to have low levels of DHA in their brains. So we supplement with the omega-3s, which actually help upregulate the good bacteria. Um, take the gluten away. We 
you know, phytonutrients. We, you know, it, we, we, we work on diet. Probiotics, probiotics were huge. I use a lot of lactobacillus GG, um, which helps seal the lining of the gut. Um, and this is a process, it's a marathon and not a sprint in healing the gut. It takes, takes a long time to heal the gut. You can change the, the, the gut microbiome in 72 hours by changing your diet. But as far as healing the gut, it, it, it takes a long time. Um, you mentioned stress. The interesting thing about stress, what we do know now, we're, we're under stressful situations, the body releases norepinephrine. Um, what norepinephrine does to pathogenic bacteria, it's like throwing lighter fluid on a fire. Pathogenic bacteria, for some reason, love norepinephrine. They get excited and do the happy dance. So when we're under stress, we're actually changing the, the makeup of our gut microbiota. So stress reduction is huge as well. So we're, we're learning everything, kind of everything affects um, the functioning of the gut microbiota. But by, by far, you know, food, antibiotic, Antibiotics save lives. You and I, we prescribe them every day in our clinic. Um, they're needed. Whenever I do prescribe an oral antibiotic, I never prescribe one without concomitantly prescribing lactobacillus GG. And I ask patients to stay on that um, even after they've stopped the, the, the antibiotic. So it's, it's really important. It helps mitigate the risk of antibiotic, um, that antibiotics can, can, can confer on our, on our gut. So. Wow, that's, that's great information. Is there any other supplements that you use, any kind of powders that you do to kind of help seal, heal and seal the gut? Um, there are so many things you can use. Um, and again, it's individualized. That's why I'm a huge fan of personalized nutrition. It can be individualized. One probiotic for you can do something totally different than someone else. So it, again, it's, it's, it's individualized. IgG 2000, um, is a powder or a liquid you can take. Um, it's immunoglobulin that has been shown to heal the gut. L-glutamine is an amino acid that has been shown to heal the gut. Good, good bacteria, probiotics, fermented foods are probably the way to go. Fermented foods and removal of the processed foods will do more to heal your gut than, than most things. But again, gluten, I, I take away the gluten. So, <coughs> excuse me, to me that's huge. So. I have to but not everyone you ask will say that. So okay, I have to ask you about kombucha. You know, you okay. know every store is selling kombucha. Do you have an opinion about that? It's expensive, right? And a lot of it's full of sugar, and I think the research is all over the place. So I think you know, I, I just yeah, I think the research is all over the place. Again, it's it's what three dollars and fifty cents for a, a bottle. <laughs> and I'll be honest, the first time I, I I drank some kombucha on an empty stomach, it. There's an al there's an alcohol and not an insignificant amount of alcohol in the fermentation in this. I actually felt a little buzz. Um, and I think the research again is all over the place, and not all products are created equally. What's your opinion on it? You know, I think there's too much sugar in it, and I think it's 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 like a healthy man's soda now. You know, and there's yeah. <laughs> more and more sugar in it. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of probiotics. I think if you make it yourself, my wife makes mm -hmm. a kombucha, and mm -hmm. she. You know, the, the, the sugar gets burnt off from the bacteria and then basically right. no sugar in it. So I think that's okay. But I think you're much better but better off eating fermented foods, fermented vegetables. And I try to eat, I, my, me personally, I try to eat fermented, you know, vegetables every day, whether it's sauerkraut, 
uh, kimchi or something in my salad every day because it's a great way of getting that good bacteria and uh, we need it mm -hmm. and, you know you know mm -hmm. and if you're not if you're not you're not getting that good bacteria you're not protecting mm -hmm. yourself and you're protecting your immune system so right. uh yeah i think it's and i think i think the easiest way to sum it up eat a diverse diet tons of fruits and vegetables in, in a great diversity and then that will help you have a diversity of your microbiome it's pretty it's very simple um it's it's, it's very simple we just we, we like our mcdonald's french fries and our hamburgers and you know but i think it, our diet's killing us it really is and i think that quote you said in the beginning about healing the gut and hippocrates i think it's it's, it's beautifully said it, you know it sums up everything so so give me and to end the the interview give me some of the lifestyle factors that you recommend to your patients and that you practice for yourself and your family to help keep you healthy okay um i think everything we feed ourselves and and what we feed ourselves is not just food it's emotions it's sunlight it's being outdoors um it, it's huge i'm a huge proponent of exercise Getting time outdoors in nature is very important. Eating a healthy diet, um, prayer and belief in belief in something. I believe that helping others and doing for others um, creates, you know, such a huge benefit to ourselves. David Perlmutter is a, a neurologist who's published a lot of books on the, on the microbiome of the brain. And he just published a new book. And it deals a lot with behavior and how we make good lifestyle choices. And what he showed is that chronic sustained inflammation actually downregulates the part of our brain that is responsible for good lifestyle choices and upregulates that amygdala, which is kind of the infant fight or flight, um, impulsive part of our brain. And so it's kind of a feed forward system. You know, all day long, I ask my patients, you know, are you exercising? Are you eating well? Are you getting sunshine? You know, are, are you involved with your community? And then the patients will come back a year later and having not made any changes. Well, based on Dr. Parmama's work, I'm learning that it's not as much their fault as it's kind of almost a hijacking of their brain. When the brain's under chronic sustained inflammation, that prefrontal cortex that helps us make good lifestyle decisions is downregulated and quieted. And so you have this overaction, this impulsivity, this narcissism, this, you know, this lack of the ability to make good choices. So again, I think anything in our body, anything we do in our environment that downregulates inflammation, food, love, you know, prayer, um, exercise, being out in nature, I'm a huge proponent of uh, meditation and what it does to the brain. Um, but, but, but yeah, you know, we, we can actually sleep. I left off sleep. Sleep's one of the most important things. You know, sleep's not a passive process. When we sleep, there's an active clearing out of toxins from, from the lymphatic system that is not involved when we're awake. So sleep is huge. Um, so what I do with my patients is rather than tell them all these things at once, I'll often start with one intervention that's going to help upregulate the prefrontal cortex. So, you know, just go home and, and, and work on for the next few months, getting a good night's sleep, eight hours of sleep. Start with that one intervention. Okay. And then 
we work on diet or then we work on exercise. I mean, you know, it's, you can just give them one thing to start with. Oftentimes that helps them make better decisions for the future. So. I just interviewed for the podcast, Austin Perlmutter about his oh, he's wonderful. Uh, yeah. brainwash. It was really very, it was really very interesting. This was great information, Julie. I really appreciate it. If people want to get in touch with you and they want to learn more about you, they want to become a patient, or they, or they want to learn about OWNS, can you give us some information about that? Sure. The Ocular Wellness and Nutrition Society is the professional society for um, anybody involved in the field of eye research, ODs, MDs, uh, PhDs. And our job is to um, help educate the public on nutritional protocols and lifestyles that promote ocular health and wellness. I can be reached. I'm just going to give you my my um, my personal email. It's it's, it's dr. Dr. Julie Poteet at gmail.com. I can also be reached through the OWNS website, um, OcularNutritionSociety.org. Um, and if somebody wants to become a patient of yours, how could they do that? Um, you can contact True Vision um, Eye Care in Ackworth, Georgia. So. And you can take it from there. So. Well, Dr. Julie, I want to thank you for being my guest today. You're a wealth of information. You're a wealth of information, a wealth of knowledge. And this is Dr. Kerry Gelb signing off for uh, for Open you. Your Eyes the documentary. Thank you very much. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I like to bring extra, and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.